bone and sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello, and welcome to my study. Please uh, come in and have a seat. All the books surrounding you are those used as sources for our show. I'll be sharing with you tonight some interesting selections from one of these volumes. Assisted, as always, by uh, the part-time housekeeper of this estate and part-time co-host of this show, Mrs. Carswell. Hello. Well, I am delighted uh, to announce that uh, everything worked out with the owl I was talking about the last couple of shows. She is now enjoying her uh, spacious new home, uh, not 100 feet from where I now sit. I still think you bribed the shelter. I never explicitly said that. I think it was all the uh, careful preparation and our ability to uh, demonstrate that the uh, bird would have a good home. Our ability? Anders and I. Uh, they loved that he's a licensed falconer and he told them everything they wanted to hear. We even had a little slideshow showing the solarium and how Mr. Rossi got it all fixed up with the uh, steel mesh and that it's got nice circulation with all those broken panes and uh, even has running water for uh, her baths, that uh, old fountain, the plumbing still works and it's big enough for her to splash around. So. Everything's perfect in there. You showed slides. Uh, on my phone, yes. Well, I'm glad it serves its purpose, but the solarium doesn't seem exactly like a showpiece with all the debris and crates and dead plants. Well, uh, Under said that those uh, dead orange trees would make great uh, bird perches. And she also needs a variety of uh, places to explore and uh, nest. That's why I left all that stuff in there. Just a month or so ago, you were complaining that rats were nesting in that junk and wanted to tear it down. Uh, y yes, uh, rats are actually another reason we left all that stuff in there. Free food. Oh. That's a pretty elaborate way to get rid of rats. <laughs> That's not why I got her. She's beautiful. Oh, she's, she's huge. She certainly is. I saw her spread her wings. That must have been six feet. I should have... Uh, really post some photos for our listeners. Just picture a very big owl with a, a, a classic owl look, I guess. Uh, sort of beige underneath and mottled dark on top and then with those uh, distinctive ear tufts. Which look like horns. And very bright orange eyes. Very intense and kind of angry. Angry? I don't know, maybe. I hope she's happy where you have her. You said she can't fly, or only a little. Whoever had her clipped her wings, so yes, only short flights, so she doesn't need a big outdoor uh, netted flight area, which is good. She only seems angry with her eyes open. When she closes them to sleep, she seems softer. Like you could almost pet her. That's what I was thinking when I came in and looked at her after you got her settled. When you came in or when you stood in the doorway? Oh, I could see her from where I was. You 
shouldn't be afraid of her. She isn't wild. She's been around humans, and she just sleeps all day. It's not when she's sleeping. It's at night. It's all the weird noises. Hearing her moving around in the solarium at night is right under my window, you know. She might be a little more active than usual, exploring her new environment. Slapping and fluttering. And then I heard her destroying something, like she was breaking off branches or tearing something up. It lasted a long time. A very determined tearing. Determined and kind of malicious sounding. Well, it shows she's active and curious. That's good. It's weird that I haven't heard her make any normal owl sounds. A hooting, I mean. Around 2 a.m. last night, I heard her making some strange sound. More like clucking or chuckling. Like laughter, almost. I don't know how else to describe it. I was hoping we could record her for the listeners. Uh, next time we should uh, bring microphones out to the solarium and record out there. Maybe she will hoot. Would they reach the mics? I mean, it seems like it would be difficult. Or maybe you could just record her and edit it in. You really don't like her, do you? I guess I'm just not used to living with a bird of prey, especially one that chuckles all through the night. Mm, I do have longer cables in the basement. We could give it a try. Why can't she just hoot like a normal owl? just sounds evil, laughing and destroying things and flying around in the night. I would like to hear some hooting, too. What is she tearing up down there? Plants? Branches? Maybe a rat? Ugh! Anyway, enough on the owl. Quite enough. So, we'll uh, get into our actual show now, which is uh, episode 105... Epitaphs. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, examines the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started the show as a way to further explore this area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. And I'm currently working on a related volume. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors who receive monthly rewards, including not one, but two bonus episodes. And I'll have more on all that at the end of our show. In this episode, we'll take a slightly different course as we wander together through a graveyard of the imagination, a particularly well-curated graveyard with only the best headstones featuring the very best epitaphs. The collected verses we'll be hearing come, for the most part, from the 1873 volume by William Fairley, Epitaphiana, or The Curiosities of Cemetery Literature a miscellaneous collection of epitaphs. And uh, along with that, I also pulled some from an article in an 1858 edition of Household Words, which was a periodical published by Charles Dickens. 
While uh, many of these epitaphs are identified as being found on headstones throughout Great Britain, it seems likely that a good part of them were actually found in uh, library research, as some had already appeared in the article in Dickens Magazine by the time that book was published. And uh, some of this is also surely just folklore, epitaphs that may not have been actually carved in stone, but, well, should have been. I uh, hope this collection provides you a bit of entertainment, perhaps a bit of reflective contemplation, or maybe even something to uh, borrow for your own headstone. The following lines, said to have been written by Shakespeare, are inscribed on a flat stone which marks the spot where he is buried in the churchyard of Stratford-upon-Avon. Good friend, for Jesus' sake, forbear to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be he that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. And one for a particularly avid fisherman. Here lies Tommy Montague, whose love for angling daily grew. He died regretted while later out to make a capture of a trout. And uh, one of many that are written for misers. Iron was his chest, iron was his door, his head was iron, and his heart was more. and one from Scotland, from the Greyfriars Cemetery in Edinburgh. Here, snug in grave, my wife doth lie. Now she's at rest, and so am I. And uh, here's uh, one that the author even admits he can't trace the origin to, but it's good. Here lies my wife, Edie, who in her time made me giddy. Here she lies without bed or blanket, as dead as a doornail, the Lord be thanked. And uh, one dedicated to someone who went by the nickname Honest Ned. Here lies Honest Ned, because he is dead. Had it been his father, we would have much rather. Had it been his mother, we had rather the other. Had it been his sister, we ne'er should have missed her. But since it is only Ned, there's no more to be said. And uh, another one for a person by the name of Daniel Saul. This one was collected from St. Dunstan's in Stepney. Here lies the body of Daniel Saul, Spitalfield's weaver, and that's all. Another miser. Here lies old Sparges, who died to save charges. And uh, on the flip side, we have one for a spendthrift. Stop, passenger, for here is laid one who the debt of nature paid. This is not strange, the reader cries. We all know here a dead man lies. You're right, but stop, I'll tell you more. He never paid a debt before, and now he's gone 
I'll further say, he never will another pay. And uh, one from uh, Yorkshire about a cook. Underneath this crust lies the moldering dust of Eleanor Bachelor Lovin. Well versed in the arts of pies, custards, and tarts, and the lucrative trade of the oven. When she lived long enough, she made her last puff, a puff by her husband much praised. And now she doth lie and make a dirt pie in hopes that her crust may be raised. And here's a cheeky one about a Mr. Pat Steele. Here lies Pat Steele. That's very true. Who was he? What was he? Well, what's that to you? And, uh, one that allegedly comes from a churchyard in uh, Staffordshire. The turf has drank a widow's tear. Three of her husbands slumber here. And uh, the author remarks, it may be interesting to note that the tearful widow was still living with a fourth partner. Watch out if I were him. And a uh, short one for a man of medicine. Visitors tread gently. Here lies Dr. Bentley. And uh, another flippant one collected from the churchyard in the village of Newington. Life's but a jest, and all things show it. I thought so once, but now I know it. A rather matter-of-fact one for a Mrs. Stokes. Here lies the wife of Simon Stokes, who lived and died like other folks. Oh, and a... Uh, Mrs. Stone, curious enough, we all must say, that what was stone should now be clay. More curious still, to own we must, that what was stone will soon be dust. And uh, one for an infant that died after its eighth month, not as sad as it might seem, since I have been so quickly done for, I wonder what I was begun for. And I have another one about a fisherman, perhaps a bit more thoughtful. This man by worms was fed, the worms procured him fish. But now that he is dead, the worms will have their dish. From uh, Cheltenham Cemetery, there is a uh, spring there known for its curative waters. A little background. Here lies I and my three daughters, killed by drinking of the Cheltenham waters. If we had stuck to Epsom salts, we'd not be lying in these here vaults. And uh, several I have are about victims of drowning. Here lies two brothers by misfortune surrounded. 
One died of his wounds and the other was drowned. And here lies the body of Henry Round, who went to sea and never was found. Or alternatively, here lies the body of Jonathan Stout, who fell in the water and never got out, and still is supposed to be floating about. I'm not sure what would then be buried there, but we'll just let that go. And another succinct one that still provides food for thought. Man's life a vapor and full of woes. He cuts a caper and down he goes. And uh, from Barry St. Edmunds in Suffolk. Here lies Jane Kitchen, who, when her glass was spent, she kicked up her heels, and away she went. And uh, another ne'er-do-well, uh, a John Hill. Here lies John Hill, a man of skill, whose age was five times ten. He never did good, and never would, if he lived his whole life again. And uh, from the town of Wolstenson on Anne Jennings, apparently the mother of many children. Some have children, some have none. Here lies the mother of 21. And uh, from a churchyard in uh, Pembrokeshire. Here lies I, and no wonder I'm dead. For the wheel of the wagon went over my head. And one for a fiddler by the name of Stephen, who seems to have been a bit musically challenged, at least when it came to tempo, perhaps. Stephen and time are now both even. Stephen beat time, but now times beat Stephen. And from a Shoreditch churchyard, we all must die, there is no doubt. Your glass is running, mine is out. And a uh, rather straightforward one from uh, the uh, churchyard in Whitby, not far from Sunderland, by the way. Sudden and unexpected was the end of our esteemed and beloved friend. He gave to all his friends a sudden shock by one day falling into Sunderland Dock. And this one is uh, annotated just as referring to an Englishman troubled with ennui. I don't believe this one's real, but I do like it. Here lies Sir John Plum Pudding of the Grange, who hanged himself one morning just for a change. And from Cambridge, marking the grave of a Mary Gwynn. Here lies the body of Mary Gwynn, who was so very pure within, she cracked the shell of her earthly skin and hatched herself a cherubim. I guess that's supposed to be flattering. 
this one is from America, is sort of uh, hinting by its inclusion what the Brits think of Americans. It's uh, from 1834 and not in verse for a change. Died on the 11th of October at his shop, number 20 Greenwich Street, Mr. Edward Jones, much respected by all who knew and dealt with him. As a man, he was amiable, as a hatter, upright and moderate. His virtues were beyond all price, and his beaver hats were only three dollars each. He has left a widow to deplore his loss, and a large stock to be sold cheap for the benefit of the family. He was snatched to the other world in the prime of life, just as he had concluded an extensive purchase of felt, which he got so cheap that his widow can supply hats at more reasonable rates than any other house in the city. His disconsolate family will carry on business with punctuality. $3 a hat. And from uh, Hanwell Churchyard, I think we're back in England now. This one for an anonymous female, it seems. Beneath this stone I do entrust are the remnants of her worthy dust. Farewell a while, ye silent tomb, until your husband calls for room. And we'll close with one last anonymous one. Reader, pass on, ne'er waste your time on bad biography and bitter rhyme. For what I am, this cumbrous clay ensures, and what I was is no affair of yours. And now, a bit of poetry as we close our show with Carswell's Corner. Tonight, we'll be hearing something from the American poet Ogden Nash, who is known for his short comic poems, often with peculiar rhyming schemes and a made-up word here and there. He began his career in the 1930s, publishing collections of his verse up into the 1980s. Many of the poems first appeared in the pages of The New Yorker. This one's entitled, The Purist. I give you now Professor Twist, a conscientious scientist. Trustees exclaimed he never bungles and sent him off to distant jungles. Camped on a tropic riverside, one day he missed his bride. She had, the guide informed him later, been eaten by an alligator. Professor Twist could not but smile. You mean, he said, a crocodile. I hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you might have the opportunity to leave a review on whatever streaming service you're using, if you do. Uh, as promised at the top of the show, I'd like to uh, provide a bit more on the rewards of joining Bone & Sickle via Patreon. A uh, monthly pledge of $2 provides you access to uh, hundreds of blog posts spanning the show's run, curious uh, tidbits from history and folklore, uh, film clips, and other material not included in the show. 
Donating a mere $4 or more monthly brings you not one, but two short extra episodes. Other rewards include downloads of the show soundscapes you hear under the narration, the show scripts, my Krampus book, uh, various t-shirt and mug options, the uh, bonusical candle, and unique and hand-packed mystery kits. And uh, I'd like to thank a few recent patrons. Tim Birkebeck, uh, who turns out to be from Denmark, uh, Anne Knight, who also was uh, kind enough to leave us a review, and uh, Camille Severino, who made a nice annual pledge. Bone and Sickle is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening.